peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. I'm here, your host, Chris Van Brink. I'm being lambasted by two of the most popular women at Softleet. We have our in-house registered dietitian, Brooke West, and we have our strong woman, powerlifting woman, just overall badass of a woman who is ladylike as fuck, Jamie Pop Christensen. Nope, no, nothing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd get something. We're uh, running a little slow today. I'll catch up. Running a little despacito, as some people <laughs> would say. <laughs> Anyways, so we got a good episode lined up for you guys. And man, I was trying to think of some clever way to say this, but we're just talking about fat. Fatties. Bunch of fatties. Busted. Busted can of biscuits, as some people say. <laughs> Look, I come from a southern background, and I think that's a very I mean, great adjective. Listen, I... Looking like a busted can of biscuits. There's some some video footage out there that paints me in not so much of a flattering light, but yeah, it definitely looks like I hit up one too many Waffle Houses. It's a hard life when you have to take off your shirt to make money for a I living. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That. No, but for real, guys, what we are talking about today is we are talking about this idea of body composition and body fat percentages and how these numbers and metrics that different organizations use to measure overall health. And we've seen this apply. I mean, it, it is not just applicable in the sports community. This is applicable to all human beings across the board. Um, whether you're at risk of some disease and your doctor orders it or you're a member of an organization like the military, for example, and you get your body fat tested on a regular basis to, I don't know, kick people out, make sure you're over healthy. Fat people don't really look very intimidating, I guess. I don't know. Because I'll, I'll end up talking about the military, but I'm curious. We have Jamie who recently got her body comp done and she is a very high-performing athlete, but breaking down her percentages, some of it might surprise you. So, punt. Over, over to you. Well, we're going to talk about different anthropometric, say that five times fast, measurements and how they're health indicators, essentially. And for someone you know, like you, Jamie, it's a way that you are tracking your progress and performance. So you do body comp more often than the average person. I try to do it uh, every three months. Yeah. Which is perfect for someone competing like you. Someone who's an athlete and has seasons, usually it's good to do preseason, in-season, postseason, because you can also track trends about where you're losing muscle, gaining muscle, and vice versa, like fat as well. Well, and, and depending on the type of testing that you do, um, me personally, I've gone only to two. That's not true. I've done three. But I prefer hydrostatic uh, underwater weighing um, or a DEXA scan. What I like personally about the DEXA scan is it can tell you um, differences from left to right side. So if let's say you're training um, and you're noticing on maybe an overhead press that uh, your left side is lagging a little bit, um, by getting something like a DEXA scan, you can actually see if there's a, a decrease in muscle mass um, on your left side. 
Um, and you can kind of address that in your training or if maybe it's just a, uh, a muscular imbalance even, uh, you know, mobility wise. Yeah. And I kind of want to step back and kind of just define what we're talking about here for a couple terms. People might not even know what are we talking about when we're talking about body mm-hmm. composition, yeah. which we're talking about well, what your body is comprised of, just to break it down that way, it's usually breaking down muscle, water, bone, minerals, and body fat in some way, shape, or form. And there's different types of body comp testing, and we call them the two-compartment model, three-compartment model, or the four-compartment model. And that just means you're breaking down what your body is comprised of into different sets. So the two compartment model is the most common where you're getting a testing testing done and it's going to tell you your lean mass versus your fat mass, which is great. It tells you a lot. Most things, um, hydrostatic weighing, skin fold, BIA, bioelectrical impedance, all these different things are two compartment models. The three compartment model is the DEXA, which is why I like it so much because it actually is breaking down fat, lean tissue, and bone. So the four compartment model is never used because it takes a really serious technical skill. It's hard to implement and it's also super expensive. So it's just, you know, not really realistic, but it eliminates relying on assumptions and math equations. Like in hydrostatic weighing, they have to use a calculation to figure out bones. Like, so there's different things like that. So really the four compartment model is only used a lot of the times to compare research to the other types of models. Um, And I think that that's kind of important to note that usually your hydration can throw these tests off pretty greatly. So that's something to take into consideration depending on what you're doing. For my own personal background, uh, when you do the type where you, you know, stand on a scale and hold something, your hydration can throw it off upwards of like, five percent or something three to five percent or the bioelectrical impedance one yeah Yeah. um as far as dexa and and the hydrostatic they're less influenced by that um you don't obviously want to eat a huge meal right beforehand because then your dry weight your scale weight will be different um but they just say normally just come in normal hydration and yeah as you normally would they call um the underwater hydrostatic weighing tanks they are considered the traditional gold standard usually when it comes to body comp and you'll find them in labs a lot of the time. So it's not maybe as accessible as like the bio impedance, the one that you're talking about where you hold and stand on a scale because that's just measuring the flow of electric current through your body and water speeds that up. So if you're really overly hydrated, it could be like you mentioned, throwing it off pretty significantly. Right. Or dehydrated in the opposite direction. Then you're going to come up really yeah. high percent body fat and be like, what? What I like, um, there's a franchise out right now. Um, well, not right now. I think they've probably been around for a while, but they're body fat test trucks and they have a tank in the back of them. It's like a box truck. That's so cool. Um, most of the time in your larger cities, they have them. Um, and But DexaScan is starting to become mobile as well. Um, there is one here in North Carolina. Um, they have a, a truck on the coast. Yeah. I think the Dex is my favorite because I love all the info it gives you and it's important for looking at bone health and other things. And like you mentioned, you can see imbalances, which is really important. It is, especially, especially if you're an athlete, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll be able to see if, if you're, you know, building more on one side of your body, then maybe you need to add more unilateral work into your training. You know, you can isolate and figure out exactly maybe what it is you're lacking. 
Um, or if it is just a muscular thing, then you can go get some body work done and alleviate the problem that way. So I just, the amount of information that you get from this, you know, above and beyond just your body fat percentage, I think is really invaluable. Yeah. And there's also skin fold, which we didn't mention, but it's hard for that to be accurate. Someone has to really do it. I think what they say upwards of a thousand times to accurately do skin folds, but it's so low cost and high access that that's why a lot of people use skin fold. Well, and I think too, if that's the way that you test, as long as you continue to test that way and you get it tested by the same person, even if it's not necessarily accurate, at least it'll give you a kind of baseline to to gauge progress, right? So if the same person does your caliper test and you go in at 18% and four months later, they, the same person does this caliper test and you're coming in at 15%, it's a good indication that you have been working and you are headed in the right direction. Um, whether or not those numbers are accurate, probably not, but it, it at least can show yeah, that's data, my thing. You know? it's, it's tracking trends, right. which is helpful, even if it's not right on the nose, that might not, that's not necessarily something that matters for someone like me, where I just want to move my body to do things. I'm not competing. I don't, it's not like that. You just want to see that there's, you know, pr progress from your efforts. Right. You and know? I, it's another motivating. thing I think is people, when you do body composition testing, I always recommend that you accompany that with progress photos for yourself, you don't have to share naked selfies all over the internet. Like I'm not suggesting everyone goes and does that. I'm just saying, keep it for yourself because you're gonna wanna have those pictures at the beginning, through the middle, through the process. And it tells you so much. Well, and I think a lot of people too still, you know, they get so hung up on the number on a scale and it's irrelevant. There's, there's a time and a place for a scale, absolutely, but it's just a tool, right? It's not anything that should weigh anything more than your gravitational pull, right? It's like, just your total mass. It's just your it total mass. Tell you much. So I think that's why photos are so important because, you know, everyone has those days where you wake up and you're like, oh man, like I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of thick today. Right. And then you take photos and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like I actually look really good. You know? So when I was a personal trainer, I would have female clients who would be so concerned about the scale and that's why I loved doing body comp. And we did the air displacement bod pod testing. And it was always so eye-opening. And I'm like, the scale, the number on the scale went up, but I like the way I look, but my clothes are fitting differently. I'm like, welcome to the wonderful world of building muscle and losing body fat. It's and but it can be intimidating if you you're married to the idea that the scale needs to say a certain number. I remember when I first started down my whole like journey of fitness. Um, after I had had my daughter and I was well over 200 pounds, I just wanted to weigh 120 pounds. For some reason, that was the number in my head that once I weigh 120 pounds, I'll be happy, right? Regardless of the fact of how I got there, when I weighed 120 pounds, I was probably 20 some percent, high 20 some percent body fat, but because I, I wasn't healthy. And so now it's like I'm far away <laughs> from 120 pounds, but I'm much healthier. So my point to that was if I had stayed married to the number on the scale, I couldn't be the athlete that I am today. I had to allow my body to change the way that it needed to change to reach the goals that I wanted to hit. And you just have to be open to that. Yeah. Cause that's well, but I mean, but now you're talking about two different aspects of how people approach fitness and it's important because everyone Everyone wants everything all the time. Everyone wants the scale to read 120 pounds and I want to be able to lift all the weight in the world. And that's just not how it works. You know, and, and that's why I think 
we've been pretty clear on a lot of our podcasts that you know the the number on the scale should be not I, I I won't go as far as to say meaningless, but but a metric that's put into context when you have to look at when when you look at other factors and because you know your your mass your weight is just your mass it's everything right it's it's everything put on the scale at once it's your lean muscle mass it's your bones it's your organs it's your water it's everything and and ultimately like why this matters for us and why it matters for athletes is you know your increase in lean body mass contributes to strength and power right so the more the more lean muscle mass like the more muscle the more force you can apply in a specific direction so whether you're a sprinter whether you're a football player like those like there's there's metrics that mean more to you but if you're i don't know would you, is it safe to say like pretend for a second that if we had no athlete like if you're if you're not an athlete like if you're just a person what means the most like bmi or like when you talk about like health indicators uh the bmi was the body mass index was developed by the cdc as a way to predict, I guess is how they say it. It's thought of as a measurement of body comp, but it, it really actually has nothing to do with your body fat or muscle. It's supposed to be an indicator of high body fatness. That's actually a direct quote, high body fatness. I thought that was a weird way to say it. But that's what the Center of Disease Control and Prevention uses it for. But if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of muscle mass, it is a pretty good indicator for sure. Because yeah. all you're doing is you're putting your weight divided by your height, your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters, and you're getting this number. And then there, it breaks it down as to like, it puts you in different, you'd be obesity class one, two, three, you've got healthy, all these, you know, you've well, got a scale. In to those look at. scales, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, they're trying to predict like heart disease, you know, exactly. insurance companies, life insurance companies will use these things to kind of figure out your risk. Right. So they can assign a, a dollar value. But to. that's that screws some people over. For instance, when I worked in higher ed, they would use they would do these basic physical tests and use BMI as an indicator for how much they would charge people for insurance. So even if someone was really lean and they had this high BMI, which is common because BMI doesn't work for athletes. No, no. And like you're a perfect example when you got your numbers back. I'm, I'm overweight. Yeah, according to BMI. According to BMI. Because it's not taken into account that so much of your mass is muscle. Yeah. It's just not meant for people that right, way. B, well, BMI is just height. It's your mass weight. divided by your height. Right. And I think that, and but on that same note, right, that's what screws up a lot of soldiers. And you know, coming from the military community, like, because we use, I mean, and, and, I, and, and don't get me wrong, I understand why we use the methods that we use because it's a very simple test done by, you know, not professionals because, you know, soldiers are monitoring other soldiers' health and physical appearance, but we use a tape test. So the things that we're doing, we're taping the abdomen and we're taping the neck and we're using those measurements in correlation with a soldier's height. Where on the abdomen? Are they like doing kind of like, like a waist circumference around yeah, like their waist, waist circumference belly button area? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but again, like we talk about, you talk if you just look at weight, you know. But I think that's also why, like, even when you look at terms like weight loss, like what, like it's not, it's not, is it? It's not weight loss. It's like there's a specific part of that weight that you're trying to lose to optimize your performance. It's like, I hate when people are say, "I want to lose weight." Right, like, but no. I mean, but you, but you hear that a lot, right? But I think, think body recomposition. See, and I, but I think that, and that would be. <sighs> That's I, hard I mean, for people to wrap it. their it mind is. around. It is really hard for people to wrap their minds around because I think people don't people don't look at their bodies in the realm of what do I want my body to be able to do. I mean, some people do, 
if you look at your body in the realm of performance, you're called an athlete because there's a specific athletic task that you're training yourself to do, whether that's to lift weight, run far, jump high, whatever. Like you judge your, you know, performance by that as opposed to just trying to look at yourself and be like, well, do I look good? Do I feel like that? And that's what those are more nebulous concepts, but you're just, you know, we, we not, and not, not say we, but you know, the world propagates this myth that weight loss is like the key to all happiness. My, when, my best response when people say, you know, when I say, what, what's your goal? What do you want? What do you want to do? I want to lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40, whatever it is. Why? Why? What if I told you like what, what, what will do what will losing 20 pounds do for you that you can't do right now and then once i can get them to say something that like a tangible goal like i want to run a mile whatever it is right well what if i told you you could run a mile and only lose 5 pounds would would that be okay once you can kind of get them to break that thought process that the scale the number that you get off of a scale determines your value people are so much more successful because it's like, okay, just put the scale away. Like maybe get on it. Starting point. This is how much you weigh. Fine. But then get rid of it. Put it in the attic. Get rid of it. Be consistent. Focus on goals that are tangible, that you can achieve, that you can get feedback from. And then in however many months, get on the scale. And and it doesn't matter, but just check. You know what I'm saying? If that's your goal, you'll find, you know, maybe it doesn't even matter that much anymore because now you can do what you want to do. Yeah. And I mean, some of these things like your waist circumference and your weight in general, your waist circumference and your weight. I'm like having a hard time with these tongue twisters today, man. Um, But those, those are meant to be assessing your disease risk for things. And especially when you're doing your waist circumference and visceral obesity. So for someone that you're, if you're just a normal person who I like to consider recreational athletes, you're active, you want to do something with your body. I still consider you an athlete, a recreational athlete. So even people like that, those work and those are important to predict disease risk, especially the visceral fat. That's now, huge. Visceral fat for people that maybe don't know what that is. So that's all of the fat in your abdominal cavity. It surrounds your organs. So if you see people who have kind of this apple shape, you're at a really, really big risk for uh, things. It's going to start off as insulin insensitivity, high cholesterol, hormone imbalance. But then those are the things that spiral into heart attacks and diabetes and cancers. It just I'm chokes to, out I'm your organs. To, I'm trying to imagine an apple shape. So there's two body types. Well, there's a lot, but to a there's one shape. idea where there's an apple and a pear. So women tend to carry their weight on their hips and their legs. Uh, you know, okay. and you see men that. that have the belly. It's like the apple shape. A beer belly. That's really the, unhealthy. The that kind of fat's super unhealthy. If you're a pear-shaped, you're at a much... They use the waist-to-hip ratio, too, as a measurement to try and like indicate your disease risk. So apples and pears, huh? Pears are great. Down, comes down to apples and pears. <laughs> apples, you got to trim a little bit off or you're going to be at some serious risk. For, and it, it spirals. Like You start with metabolic syndrome. You're like, oh, I just got you know like a little, little extra on my gut. That's harder to get off the older you get, and it just adds and adds and causes a lot of lifestyle diseases that we see now. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, and I guess I, I guess to make this all mean, so then if you're, so all right, so if you're if you're an athlete, if you consider yourself an athlete, then what we're recommending, like when we look at you know, getting these tests done, you we, we would recommend like a DEXA scan for an athlete as opposed to that's what I would recommend for everyone, and. 
for an athlete, the waist circumference works, you know, because you're still, even when you're lean, like doing things like that is fine. It's BMI is the big one. That's like not going to be accurate if you have a lot of muscle mass on you. Gotcha. So don't freak out when you get your DEXA because on the DEXA, it's going to break down all kinds of things and it uh, will put you in a BMI category, which it did for Jamie and she knows, but it put her as overweight in BMI. But then you look and the body fat's like 10% and you're like, clearly this isn't true. So you kind of have to just decide what's important for the type of person and athlete you are. For someone like me, who's just a recreational athlete, I just like to move. I don't have a ton of muscle mass on me. BMI is, is very accurate for someone like me. And it is, but I think people should still do DEXA or hydrostatic because if you even are a recreational athlete, you, you give a shit about your nutrition because you're, you, everyone should know that your nutrition fuels your training. If you get a DEXA or a hydrostatic, what's one of the most important things that you can learn? How much lean muscle tissue you have. That's what I care about. That's the first thing I look at that when you hand me your DEXA. Why? Because I use lean body mass to determine your energy needs because that's the biggest contributor to your resting metabolic rate. And why does that matter for somebody who's, who's just a recreational athlete? Why would they want to know? Because their goal should be to increase that muscle mass, increase their resting metabolic rate. And as an, as a registered dietitian, why does that matter to you? What are you doing with that number for them? Their resting metabolic rate. I mean, that's the foundation for every single calculation that for I run. For their nutrition. Yeah. So your protein requirements, your fat requirements, your carbohydrate requirements. Once you get that information, you have something concrete to work off of. You're not blindly throwing a dart at the wall and hoping it sticks. Like you know where to start. And if you know where to start, if you know where you are, you can plan out where you need to go to reach the goals that you need to reach. So even if you're just a recreational athlete and you're and you don't care so much about what your body fat percentage is and you don't really care so much about if your right leg is holding, you know, half a percent more than your left leg, at least by getting those numbers back, you can dial in your nutrition and you can take the results that you were getting and put them into hyperdrive because now you can get specific and you can figure out exactly what you need to be eating to go where you want to go. Yeah. You know, even if your goal is 20 pounds, okay, well now I know exactly what I need to do, you know? Right. And I also think it's important that I totally lost my train of thought. There were so many things happening at once. My brain is not keeping up with my mouth today. But this is such a good topic because there's so many points to be made about actually getting the testing done to support your lifestyle. And like you don't have to be an athlete, but it's this is good information to have regardless because it allows an insight into your body. Right. So like for women, as we age, uh, our bone density starts to fall off. Right. And after 30, you're kind of done with building your bone deposits. Right. And so like the DEXA, it tells you what your bone density is. So once you hit 30 ish, wherever you're at, it's kind of your starting point as you, as you age. Right. So when you start looking at supplementation, do I need to start taking calcium supplements? Do I need to start supplementing with vitamin D? Do I need to start doing this, doing that? So being able to have that number and know where you're at can set you up literally for the rest of your life. Nowadays, I think it's super affordable and accessible to do body comp. If you can't find a DEXA, even a bod pod using the air displacement, I think is great. Um, 
I still think the Dexa should be where to go because of the bone density is really important. And I remember what I was going to say now. There's a ton of predictive equations that we use in nutrition. And they're okay, but they're still never going to be as accurate as knowing someone's lean body mass and then doing everything based off of that. But there's different calculations for different types of bodies. And so even then sometimes you need to at least have a ballpark understanding of what your body fat is. In the app, we use pictures for people to get their ranges because then based on that, it's going to have to route them. Am I treating this person as an athlete? Because there's a calculation for female athletes. There's a calculation for male athletes, normal people, overweight people. There's different types of calculations. And so we want to make sure that they're going down the right direction so even in that case like at least be aware self-aware yeah be cognizant of 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 that information so you can have more success and 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 as you're successful in whatever it is you're choosing to do and maybe you don't need to rely so much on that external motivation to get there because you're seeing the progress happening that's your own that's all the motivation is becomes intrinsic you know do you use progress photos a lot when you track like your progress i take uh every thursday morning I take progress photos so every week. Wow. Every week because, well, I don't, I don't feel like that's necessary for the majority. Um, but when you're as specific as I need to be sometimes, uh, yeah, I take weekly pro- photos also keeps myself accountable because I know that if I kind of loosened up a little bit and I hit up some Taco Bell occasionally cause I was too lazy to meal prep. I'll be able to see it in my next week photos. And it's kind of that reality check of, okay, I'm starting to, I'm starting to hold some inflammation because I can see it that fast. So um, I take weekly progress photos for we were, sure. We were talking about this the other day. If you're someone who's already got your health really dialed in, you see the mistakes much bigger. They're so much clearer. Oh, absolutely. So like for me, I've got my gut health dialed into this point that I, the first, like when something goes in my mouth, I have a pretty under like immediate reaction as far as inflammation and like an autoimmune response in some case with some of my stuff going on because I've taken the time to craft this lifestyle, be healthy and only put what I should be in my body. Most of the time, the old fashions, not so much, (laughs) but you know, it's kind of crazy in that sense too. So that's cool that you use the photos that I way. Do. Yeah. Well, and it, it keeps myself kind of like, okay, look, this is why I've been feeling like this and now I can see it. Like I really need to get my shit together. And also too, I think that if people started even generally, even if they're not athletes, if they start caring a little bit and they try to stay like more tuned in people that are sick all the time who get sick multiple times a year, I have a feeling it has a lot to do with what you're doing nutritionally, you know, like like you were saying your gut health makes a big difference. Well, it, but we, I mean, and that's, but you're right. It does. Because I think for most people though, we, you know, when you look at a self-assessment of health, people, they step on a scale and they they read a number and then they kind of like, well, does this sound, does this, does this number make me feel good or does this number make me feel bad? And it's very arbitrary. And I think what we're advocating for is that, you know, your DEXA, your body comp, like that's where your training process starts. So if you're an athlete, like, or, or if you like are even, even for anybody, you're right. It doesn't matter if you're a life athlete and you just want to, you know, live a more honestly customizable life that's to you, your body comp kind of gives you your way to maximize your own performance, whether that's whatever mixture of fuel and things you need. Like this is how to determine what you specifically need. I think and that, but people don't, I don't know. People don't really look at it in terms like that. And I wish they did. I honest, honest to God, I'm like, I'm a 
dietitian and I don't get on a scale. I do DEXA testing every six months-ish and I do progress photos because that tells me what I need to know. It's all the information you need because what what does the scale matter? It doesn't matter. Can you do the things that you want to do? Well, you, do I, you feel I think, good? Cool. But, but in that same respect, and I, I don't, it's not that the the scale for athletes, I think, in some sports matters because you have weight classes, um, and and you're you're only allowed to you like you have to maximize your performance at a certain level. So I guess maybe so with with that then with that being the case, I mean that's a, yeah. Then those. Absolutely. There's a purpose for a scale for some people. It depends on your goals. And a lot of times when people first get started on the nutrition program, I tell them to weigh weekly and I say, you know, weigh the same day under the same conditions, after, like right as you wake up, before you eat, after you go to the restroom, same clothes or just totally naked weigh because it's going to tell you immediate trends and feedback when you're starting a new program. Like, oh, I'm, I'm on a I'm on the highest level of bulk and I'm gaining too much too quickly. Not good. You need to bump it down. So that can help in that sense. But I just think the idea of it being an indicator of performance, the scale tells you nothing. No, I agree. I think it's more of, I think in, in modern day culture, it's more of a, an indicator of confidence than an indicator of performance. The seemingly the lower, the number, the better it seems to be. You know how many women I've told same concept, just cut the tag out of your jeans. Well, just cut but, it out and they well, do stop that. looking at it. But Doesn't it's matter. Like, <laughs> how many times, I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a CrossFit coach, like, I mean, you'd get brand new people and they'd come work out in the gym and they'd be with you for about, you know, two to three months and, and they would, you know, they'd love it. But then all of a sudden, like the jeans would stop fitting again because my thighs were getting bigger. I'm like, well, jeans start when you start lifting weights as a woman, even a little bit, things are weird. Like your leg, the, your legs get too tight, but then the waist is too big. Like I want, I want to get some custom jeans. I'm going to treat myself because it's, it's just like different when you start working out your body changes, but that shouldn't necessarily like freak you out. Cause I know that's common, but I think it's how jeans with spandex in them or there you go. Pro tip, just wear leggings all <laughs> of the time. <laughs> well, but I mean, but it's, but that, that way you measure your progress, I think was what ultimately matters, right? Cause we're not, you know, we would not indicate, like, we wouldn't say, hey, congrats, like, no one in a CrossFit gym sets a PR by, you know, 20 pound weight loss, right? Like, I mean, you, you can say you lost 20 pounds, but in the realm that CrossFit measures performance, like, that's not a performance thing. That's an aesthetic thing. You just, you lost 20 pounds of weight, but like, how did that actually, like, did you increase your lean muscle mass? Did you, um, like, how does that actually translate into the performance of your sport. And if you're pursuing weight loss and you're pursuing it aggressively, you're most likely going to lose muscle mass, decrease your resting metabolic rate, disrupt your hormones and end up holding on to fat. And it's not what you want anyway. So skinny fat, you got to rethink sometimes. I love that. The skinny fat, the skinny fat. (laughs) That's what I was whenever I was like, Oh, I'm 120 pounds. Look at me. And then I'm like, Oh wait, like I'm actually, I can't remember the last time I weighed 120 pounds. I was a child. Like that, you know, I, I can't I like even, I was the fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, I was like in my mid twenties, but I was like an alcoholic and a chain smoker. So, I mean, I was 120 pounds though. So I was healthy. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. No, no. And now my lean body mass is over 120, pounds. <laughs> well, 126 pounds of just lean it's body awesome. mass. <laughs> I love looking at your body comp testing too. And any athlete, man, like, um, 
whenever D was last year, we went and got them done together. And it, <laughs> we were sitting next to each other and it was almost like a little competition. Like, hmm, what's your numbers say? What's your bone density? Oh, mine, hers, hers is a little higher. Shit. <laughs> She's got big bones. <laughs> that was funny. She did come back and say that. I got big bones. That's good though because... And a lot of women are scared to resistance train for whatever reason. They think they're going to get big and bulky and whatever. Believe me, like I've tried. It's not happening. But it keeps you healthy. And putting your body under load bearing exercise is great for your bones. Yeah. You look That's at- why yours is amazing. And I love it so much. I'm like <laughs> this is, You're like off the charts on the top end. And I'm like, this is epic. You're not falling and breaking a hip at age 70. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, yeah, that was really cool. I mean, even the tech that was there, he's like, that's insane. He's like, your bone density. And I was like, I feel like the more females that get into weight training, like, man, you're going to be like some 60-year-old boss bitches running around here with like unbreakable bones. It's going to be great. And uh, we were talking about this earlier, that different sports and different people, if you train for a specific sport, your body comp is different. Oh, yeah. So it really depends on your goals for performance. Like Chris was saying, it's like your goals for performance should be your number one. And then the body comp kind of follows and there should be a range based on your sport of what you do. So uh, I get on that same point though. And cause I think this is, you know, this is something that we kind of encounter a lot of as coaches is like the range of altering body composition. Right. Like, you know, where we like we like a good example, honestly, is old Jorge, who's not. Well, he's he's not on this podcast. He's still very much with us. But, um, you know, here's a guy who, you know, we you you watched him go from like a, a, a national level, like Olympic weightlifter to an endurance athlete like a very like wide range of body composition. So it's like, so where do you, if someone came to you and you know, they, I don't know, say they like were on the higher end, like they were just like a bigger person, but we'll they use wanted George's case study. Well, yeah, but they, Hopefully but they George wanted to like, mind. no, <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. Um, but they wanted to turn themselves into an endurance runner. Well, so that's the thing. And, you know, George and I had a lot of conversations about it and he changed his nutrition and what he, he did a a lot because his life was changing. He was really big and muscular and that, that doesn't, you don't need that. It almost is going to hold you back if you're into endurance and running hard on your joints to move that much. So he, yeah. And so he definitely lost weight and some muscle along with it because that's not the body comp that was optimal for now his new love and his new passion. So I, I guess, but that's, so therein lies the question, right? Like do, do every person has like an ideal body composition and then we just kind of move that to the left and to the right, depending on our activity or, you know, are there like legitimate health concerns for people who swing like from one side of the body comp scale to the complete other side of the body comp scale? How fast you swing is what's going to cause issues. That's the thing. So you don't want to do, you know, slow and steady is the way to go. Whether you're losing weight or gaining weight, it's the big, right. the swings are okay. It's the speed at which you do it, I think that's more important. And that's fair because I think we get, a, I mean, because we get a lot of like, because everyone has usually people get bored with their athletic goals. I think, I mean, in all reality, like people like they want to do one thing, they do this, you know, powerlifting or whatever. And then they're like, Oh, this new bright shining object over here. But they realize along the way that like, 
in in order to reach this new performance goal, I need to alter my body composition to let's, accommodate that sport. Let's use you as a case study next. So I told you I'm going for the yoga rock climber body. Exactly. So, <laughs> so as a, don't, if you want to, if you want a boulder, you know, I feel like you're going after this in aesthetic and I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> but so if you want a boulder, fucking climb up El Cap, whatever. Right. Do you think that he, Alex Honnold would have been able to do that if he was like you, your build? No. 100% right no. because it does it's just, right. you don't it, need that much mass it doesn't like that. it doesn't fit and that's but i guess that's that's really the point right so it's like how like do we as humans like kind of like are we better off for the long term like if we're if we're life athletes right if we're are we better off in the long term like right in the middle like with these like normal within healthy ranges but like how and, and i guess the next question is then how long can people sustain those extreme ends of body well, I think that it's those extreme ends are going to end up as you age and life goes on balancing out somewhere in the middle. That's just not going to be sustainable for the rest of your life. So cause as I mean, you age, and so, but you're even, not going to train as much. I, I, are you asking for like a specific percentage that you well, find? I guess what I well, and even for you, like I'm, I'm curious, you know, how does, cause you, you have a competition coming up, yeah. right? So how does your, because have, have you been have you gotten your DEXA scan like during your quote unquote off season, and then like on season and like the difference between those two, or does it relatively remain consistent? I'm pretty consistent um, year round because I my sport I don't really have a season like it's not like football right where it's like a fall thing or it's not like baseball where it's like a spring type thing like my sport is is year round. Yeah, okay. I just I just pick the comps or the meets that I want to do and then I peak and I prep for those. So I personally um I've been spending the past year trying to gain a little bit of body fat back because uh it it helps me recover better. Yeah. Um absolutely. and uh regulates hormones a little bit better. I got really low and and I didn't have any issues when I was as low as I was. I was fine. I was strong. I won world championship and set a national record when I was as low as I was. But it wasn't sustainable for my new goals, uh, which was to get strong as fuck. So in order for me to get stronger, I had to be able to recover harder. And I needed a little bit more cushion on my joints in order to do that. Gotcha. Well, and I think that's an important point, too, is because I think we get a lot of people who like really kind of approach this backwards. Like they do, like they try to make that pendulum swing too fast. And and we get the the overtraining, like we talked about in the other podcast, the overtraining, the undereating, you know, which basically causes our body to hold like it freezes that comp literally in place. Like it's the, like your body, you're you're making your body resistant to the change that it's trying to do by continuously overtraining and trying to swing the pendulum on the training side, like before you're ready, right? Or, or going too fast. And that's, but I'm, so let me ask you this then. So if you have, I guess I actually, I probably already know the answer to my own question, but you know, when, when we talk about people who want to go between the, like the, the ends of the body comp, right? From the weightlifters to the endurance athletes, the first thing they try, like change is usually their nutrition or is that, I feel like the first thing they change is typically the way that they train. But sh- should it be that way? I think they should both go hand in hand. I'm not, Ideally, it's a, yeah. a huge mistake a lot of the times. I tell people if you're starting a new training program, you're starting a new sport, you're you're new to the tr- if you're new to the training app, 
And even if your goal is weight loss or weight gain, I always recommend start with maintain and just establish a baseline and get in a routine with your diet and get used to your training. And then you can start to manipulate the diet to see the changes you want for the activity that your end goal is. So smart. It's almost like you know what you're doing. <laughs> we all know what we're doing. Just leave us alone. <laughs> no, but I think that, like I said, I think that's a that's a very important point for a lot of people who are listening who, you know, have have like more performance-oriented goals and need a, probably a more structured path in order to get there. Because I think a lot of people really just, I, I think people fall into the trap of like, like they just kind of hold up a like they have a performance goal but they hold up a picture of the athlete that they want to look like and it's like okay so i just need to i need to make myself look like this right and we kind of ignore some of that testing that's secondary the aesthetic if if okay if your goal is performance based you want to deadlift 500 pounds you want to squat 600 whatever it is the aesthetic is a side effect that is never ever should ever be on your radar it's cool as fuck to see it happen but it should never be on your radar if you're if your goal is performance if your goal is aesthetic if you're a bodybuilder or something like that then obviously that that changes i have such a hard time with that sport bodybuilding yeah i mean it's really cool to see what you can do to the human physique but i just but but that's that's the thing that's another like talk about someone so we talk about body composition and bodybuilding right like I mean, I, we had, we had a conversation pre-show about Lou Ferrigno, mm-hmm. you know, v- like how, how do bodybuilders age? Oh, it depends. I mean, I, I, I don't think yet, there's a general answer. For I don't to know. Me, it's I've, just the lifestyle of the extremes to, yeah. to, to manipulate your body water and do it's, all these it's things Art is what it is. You're oh. literally taking the human body and you are revealing what it is truly made out of and what it, and what it's, peak i absolutely respect that but i also as a health professional who knows what it does to someone's body to do some of these things i'm just like uh, well but like so is there so is there on that on that spectrum then of body comp like is there like a like a point of no return like you mess yourself well, it's up to more the- important for women than it is for men. And I guess it depends on your, your life and what you're okay with and what you're not, but you need to have that essential body fat and everyone's a little different, but in general men need at least two to 5%. So they meet need much less. And that's really to support their major organs because everything needs a little bit of fat. It needs a little protection and cushion and hormone regulation. Well, and for women, it's this huge plays this huge role and you need it for those sex hormones. And so for women, you need 10 to 13% range of just the essential body fat, because if that drops too low, your estrogen also drops for women. And then you're going to lose your menstrual cycle and you could have fertility issues and, and your estrogen is tied to all these other things. It's not a standalone, right? Well, and I just want to say too, for some women that are listening that are maybe below that 10%, there's a huge genetic role in that. Yeah. There's a huge, I mean, that's just a textbook guideline, I feel like. Um, I know a few women that that can maintain under that and, and labs come back okay. And your body will tell you. And your body will like, tell you. If hair you don't loss. have a period anymore, you're losing your hair, things like that. Yeah. Those are signs that you're too low. You yeah. need to, you know, you need to bring it back. But yeah. So it's just, so I, like when I had one of my best friends, I love dearly, she used to be in bodybuilding. She would absolutely drop below that. 
and she would have all the signs of someone that was anorexic because she was so malnourished. She wouldn't drink water for like three or four days before getting on stage. She'd be like, her mouth and lips would be bleeding when she smiled on stage. And I'm just like, I love you and I'm proud of you that you just won, but I hate seeing you do this to yourself. I also feel like though, like, and maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I, I don't know because I personally have never done it. I have very close friends that do compete. Um, I, I think science has improved in nutrition uh, knowledge has improved and training knowledge has improved. Maybe it doesn't have to be that dramatic anymore. Well, I, I think there's the... And they're like winning pro cards. Like they're they're legit, but yeah, I... Yeah. I they're mean, not I know, doing those bro sciencey tactics. Of no, not they're not eating... Water. But it also sounds like too, I mean, if, if you have a better... Like if you're, if you're operating on the extreme, and I think this is true, it's especially true even in the athletic community, if you just looked at it, you know, as a broad statement, you know, you, if you moved the Olympics, like one week to the left or one week to the right, you would alter someone's four-year training cycle. And the sense that the more extreme you are on that end of performance, like if you're at the top echelon of anything, whether that's bodybuilding, athletic performance, you can only stay at that echelon for so long before you have to back off. Like you can't, you cannot look like a stage-ready bodybuilder all the time. It's not going to happen. Like, I mean, because you're, you're going to kill yourself trying to do that. And and I think people understanding when it comes like performance and longevity are inversely related. That's not to say that you can't continuously trend progress over time and just, you know, experience these slow dips and recessions and recoveries and then get back after it and, and always be trending upward. But to think that you're going to be at your absolute best at 365 days out of the year is unrealistic. No, I mean, if you look at a strength athlete, I mean, we peak, right? We, right. we have we have a, a prep cycle where, where we go into, depending on the coach, you know, 12, 8, whatever many weeks out. Um, there's no way that we could maintain pushing that those percentages Absolutely. all of the time. Absolutely. We and literally I, would break. And that's the thing. And I, and I think a lot of people, like when, it, when you look at a lot of the injuries that people sustain in sports, and especially even when it comes to the, the maintenance of the body composition that's required in those sports, the higher the performer, the more narrow the peak, right? Like, I mean, you can only like that, that window of time where you're at your absolute best becomes very, very short. So if you are, you know, if you're thinking about, like, if you're thinking about entering into this realm as an athlete, um, depending on where you're coming from, like you have to understand that, you know, your peaks are going to be, that's why peaks are like really tiny points, right? They're not, they're not broad, right? They're, and, and, and you have to understand that because you have to be able to, you know, kind of brush up against that peak, but then deload and recover in order, if you want to go back, you know, and try to hit that peak again well, or beyond yeah. it. it. Let's say uh, you, you're a powerlifter, and so you go and, and you're going to compete and you pull 500 pounds. You have a 500-pound deadlift. A week later, you might not be able to break 475 off the ground because you timed your peak for that exactly. competition. And, that, and, and having the discipline to do that. like Well, and just having the mental space to recognize that just because you did it on a meet day doesn't mean that that's your new normal. Correct. Right? You have to... you. Ha you, it can be someday, but you have to now build back up and work that new percentage volume in. Well, and I think, but that's also, you know, the reason, because that, that phenomenon in and of itself, I think really messes with a lot of people because people really like, if, if you pull, like yeah, if you pull 
um, like 500 and a comp- 500 pound deadlift in a competition, for example, there's just something about like a couple weeks later pulling, you know, 450, even though, you know, in the back of your mind, like, all right, like I know I'm not at my peak shape. I feel like there's just something. Do you feel about- defeated? I feel like a lot of people kind of do though. Right. Like, because they, they create that expectation in their mind and then they notorious for this. I'm like, That's why you're looking at me directly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then it, right. But it's like, but and it's, then probably correct me if I'm wrong, but is it hard then to stick to the plan when you're like, well, have, now I'm back where I'm not, I'm only pulling this much weight and I want to do more. I know I can do more. I've done more before. Is it hard sometimes to kind of dial it back and be like trusting the process to build up to your peak? It's so hard to do that. Uh, and then also to recognize the difference between a meet PR and a training PR because they're different. Uh, a training PR is something that you base percentages off of. A meet PR is the result of basing all of your training percentages off of that because meet day, you're peaked. Um, you have adrenaline, crowds, like there's a whole lot that goes into, you know, you're using the best bars, you're on a platform. It's, it's a little different, right? So you got to learn how to separate that. And it, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's like, well, oh, I, but that's true. And we're all human, right? Like, yeah. I mean, now we're talking about like the, the human component of, of like the body comp, like the pursuit of the ultimate body, right? Like you have to understand that even if, even in your mind, if you have this ideal that you're shooting for that, you know, the, the perfect coalescence of muscle mass, like weight performance, whatever it is you're going for, you don't stay there. You won't be able to stay there, you know? And it's like, and and wrapping your mind around that psychologically speaking, I think is very difficult and which causes then people to push that limit more so than they should to the point where their body sometimes will just shut down on them. And that's another good point to having regular testing done because you can, if you're you're getting body fat, if you're getting your, your shit tested, three months, six months, whatever it is that you decide to do, um, you can then look at that data and then look at your training log and look at your recovery log because if you're an athlete, you should be keeping all three. And you can say, okay, I felt like trash. Okay, okay, well, I was 9% body fat. This same this same training block that I'm doing now, I'm at 12% body fat or whatever, and my, my recovery is going really good. But you'll be able to see those correlations and play the long game. And that's, I feel like tracking and, and keeping an eye on all of that is another reason, aside from the actual number that it gives you, you can tie it into everything to c- create the whole picture. And all of that is what's going to give you longevity in your sport. Right. You're just not going to break it off. You know, you're, you're going to be able to play the long game and do it for a while. Fucking science. Bodies are so weird, Knowledge man. bombs. But no, like I said, I, I, I hope everyone kind of took something from that because I think the way in which we approach our training, um, whether that's as a life athlete or like a real and actual performance-based athlete, being able to train as smartly as possible um, with the most you know quantifiable data as you can is, is the smartest way moving forward. I mean, we have... We have tools, body comp, DEXAs, all these things. Like I said, we highly recommend that people go out and get tested, honestly, because it will give you a better indication of how to structure your training for you. And and it should start to paint, rather than leave it to something subjective, like a picture in a magazine or you know something that you saw on social media, 
you know, you can start actually quantifying what ideal looks like for the individual as opposed to some stereotype or some number that you've just arbitrarily thrown out there as like success. Well, in these tests, they're not that expensive. They're less than a hundred dollars. Well, but here's the thing, like, like, but that's, and, and for me personally, like when you, when, if you look at fitness, kind of like a, like a holistic concept, you know, being in that ideal range should be considered success for you. Right. I mean, a healthy range. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like people, I think, take that normal healthy range sometimes for granted until you fall outside of it. You know, so being a healthy individual is no small task. Right. And people kind of take that as like, oh, well, I'm just I'm healthy. If yeah. you're someone who's a recreational athlete, I hate to say like normal person, you're someone who is active, you've got goals, you move your body, you're a recreational athlete, you're not necessarily training for a sport like a you know, Jamie or someone, I would recommend you get body comp testing done six months to a year. Even if you just did it every year, Uh, that's totally fair. Someone who is, you know, more intense into a sport like you every three months or, you know, definitely at least some point pre mid and post season to see what's going on and how, and how things like, especially if you're in a sport, like for example, a Linton Olympic lifter and you have to go in and you have to cut before a meet. What did that do after like get on, get a body comp after so what did, what happened with your weight, your muscle mass, because then it'll help also prepare you. It's all like pieces of the puzzle so that you can come in better to your next meet. Well, and I know like a lot of athletes have to cut weight to compete. Uh, if you get a lean, if you get your body fat tested and you, let's say I wanted to compete at 123, I'd be really competitive at 123 with my numbers. Knowing that my lean body mass is 126 pounds, I can't compete at 123. You know what I'm saying? So even just having that super basic information, you can pick the right weight class for you. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with water cuts and anything like that, which is awesome. I don't think that you should, um, being able to say, okay, I, this is my walk around weight. Do I have room to diet down into a lower weight class to be more competitive without uh, harming myself? Yeah. Without hurting myself and or sacrificing recovery and training? Um, sure, then, then sure, diet down and, and compete at a new weight class. But you know, even just having that information is is good. Yeah, I agree. Get tested. It sounded like an STI ad. <laughs> you look like fucking Jimmy get, Neutron over here with your hair. Your hair and you're like, up. get tested. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, with that, like I said, we hope you guys all took away something that is valuable. We hope you guys not only train hard, but also train smart. If you have any questions for any of us, Chris at Softfleet, Brooke at Softfleet, at Jamie Pop Christensen on Instagram. I don't even know your email. It's nobody needs to know my email. It's okay. Orlando <laughs> Bloom's lover, 17. <laughs> That's who you go with? Do I look com. like, so- you know what? Does she <laughs> look like she's <laughs> into that? look like I'm into that. No, you actually look like a, I, if you, I wish you guys could see her. She looks like a goddamn shield maiden from Vikings. Because I shaved pre- half my head. Pretty rad. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, guys. Until next week, hope you guys have a wonderful week. Train smart, train hard, and we'll see you.